Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Welcome, everybody, whether you're here uh, on our campus or you're joining us online. We're uh, really thrilled that you're part of what God is doing through a people called Sunridge. My name is Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. And, um, you know, we're in the study of Luke. And we started this at Christmas, if you remember, and we're carrying it through to uh, Easter. And so we started with the birth of Christ, and we're going to end with the resurrection of Christ. And we're kind of getting down to it, you know? I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but here we are. It's getting very close. Today, um, it's called Palm Sunday. It's a tradition that started perhaps as early as the 4th century. Uh, a celebration uh, that has turned into kind of like a five-day observance during Holy Week. And uh, we're going to be talking about that more at the end of the service. But if you want to follow that along, I mean, you can see on your note sheet, there's a QR code and you can just take a picture of that and then uh, follow with us this week. What I'd like to do today is to take Luke's example or story of this week in the life of Jesus that we call Holy Week. And if it were a Netflix series, this season would be called Holy Week, and there would be 10 episodes. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at all 10 episodes. You're going to get to binge watch Jesus in his final week. And uh, so we're going to click through a lot of scripture. That's what you should be hearing here right now. So I want you to stay with me. And in your notes, episode one, Jolene just read for us where Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and he's celebrated as a king. And as he comes into the city, it's Passover, which is a major Jewish holiday, as many of you already know, uh, that celebrates uh, Israel's exodus out of slavery uh, in Egypt. And so apparently... Jesus' followers, many of them, have already entered the city for this. This is, is there Messianic Jews, they're following Jesus, but they have a Jewish tradition as a background. And so the city is just filled with worshipers. Uh, some commentators say that it, it, the city would explode into the hundreds of thousands. People that were pilgrimaging to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So like they had this huge concentration of people um, that are there to worship. It's kind of like church camp meets Spirit West Coast, only in a Jewish tradition, because everyone's together, and they're worshiping, and there's all these uh, opportunities to sit and be taught by some of the top rabbis, and there's this big celebration going on. So there's lots of teaching and worship and religious celebrations and traditions that are all happening throughout the city, and Jesus enters... And people are celebrating that. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time in the 
in Judaism, they're furious at all the attention that he's getting. And um, so it may be even happening up in our children's ministry right now, but Palm Sunday celebrates this event as Jesus comes into the city. And uh, maybe up there they're making a little palm fronds with popsicle sticks and construction paper and, you know, all the things that we do. It's all really cool, all these crafts and lessons. Um, But if we just talked about Holy Week kind of from that perspective, kind of an idyllic way, uh, we we really wouldn't be capturing what was happening because most of you already know the story. Um, Jesus goes from entering the city to a welcoming parade to the cross in less than seven days. So how, how did that happen? Well, you have to go to episode two to start to get a picture, and that's in Luke 19.45, where Jesus, you may be familiar with this story. The next thing Luke tells us that he did is he went into the temple and overturned um, tables because as he enters the temple, he's disgusted by what he witnesses. Uh, the worship of God has become a business. And so the temple courts... The main temple where people come to worship, have been, it's, it's become inundated by opportunists that are ripping people off because they're, as part of their worship, they need sacrifices and they have to change out their uh, money to a common uh, uh, money that's being used there in Jerusalem. And so these business people are gouging people uh, because they basically are like a captive audience. And um, Jesus flips the tables over on them and chases them all out with a whip. So that's not the nice Jesus. Sometimes we don't, some of us really like that Jesus, you know, like there's a word for that. And then there's like the really nice Jesus, but he's both, right? And the chief priests, again, are really incensed at this, that, um, that he confronts these vendors. And a lot of scholars think that they're so upset because they're getting kickbacks from them. Um, And so episode three starts in chapter 20, verse one, where after this happens, what do you think the chief priests are going to do? They're going to challenge Jesus's authority. And in verse two, they say, tell us by what authority you're doing these things. Like who, who made you king here? Who, who, who says that you get to do this? Who gave you this authority? And so even though Jesus has had um, run-ins with religious leaders, it starts to intensify at this moment. And then that takes you to episode 4. In chapter 20, verse 9, Jesus, right off of this conversation, tells a story. Right after this confrontation with chief priests, he turns to the people. The chief priests are still there. And he tells them this story about a vineyard owner who is managing his employees from um, remotely. And in the parable, it's harvest time, so he's not there, so he's sending supervisors to check on him, how it's going. And uh, they abuse the supervisors that show up. They beat, they beat him up, Luke says. And then finally, in a last-ditch effort to establish his authority and to pull his business together, he sends his own son, who would have a lot of weight and they murder him. So keep in mind that that's said right in the presence of the chief priests looking at the people that have gathered there. So the point is pretty apparent, right? 
And then episode 5 in Luke 20, starting in verse 20, um, they try to stumble Jesus in an argument. And so they send people to pepper Jesus with questions to catch him in some type of an accusable offense. And if they can't stumble him on the basis of false doctrine, maybe they can catch him in some type of civic offense. And so most of the people there uh, resented paying exorbitant taxes to Rome, uh, which we might all be able to relate to today, right? So they pose a question to Jesus. Verse 21, the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Brilliant, brilliant answer. Good advice for all of us today too. And then there's episode six in chapter 20, verse 27, where Jesus starts to debate the Sadducees who are a sect. This is what's interesting about this debate. They're a sect of the Pharisees who don't believe in life after death. But the question they pose to him is, if a woman is married more than once in her lifetime, whose wife will she be in the afterlife? They don't even believe in the afterlife. And uh, Jesus replies that our relationships in heaven are different than they are here on earth. And the Sadducees said, touche. Actually, in verse 39, some of the teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher, and no one dared ask him any more questions. So are they satisfied with his answer, or are they stumped? Yeah. Then that takes you to episode 7. In chapter 20, verse 41, Jesus has an Old Testament discussion. So in the tradition of uh, rabbinical teaching in the first century, uh, Jesus doesn't just lecture hour after hour and they take copious notes. Uh, Jesus uses the Socratic method and he asks questions and interacts with uh, the people that are in his audience. And uh, Luke records one of those. Um, Jesus poses this question. The Old Testament says that the Messiah will be the son of David, but the Messiah is also the Lord. So how can the Messiah be both David's son and his Lord? It's a good question, isn't it? But we're not going to talk about that this morning. You can talk about that in your life groups or at coffee with somebody this week. So Jesus doesn't really give a specific answer, which is interesting about Jesus, because he asks a lot more questions than he answers, and usually answers a question with a question. But perhaps he is answering this question, because in episode 8, in chapter 20, verse 45, this is what he says. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. So how do you think that goes over? And then he kind of doubles down in episode 9. It's getting near the end of the season, can't you tell? Um, And so during Passover, like I mentioned before, there's all these different offerings that are being taken And so that's why they had money changers to change out their currency. Um, And right after warning the people, 
in the audience about uh, these elite, uh, Luke says that he looked up. So he's like talking to them, and then he looks up. And what he looks up at is a woman, a widow, a poor widow, putting an offering into the coffers. And he contrasts the way the rich and showy people put their offering in to, um, into this box that they had uh, to how this widow does it. And uh, he concludes with this in verse 3. He says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. So do you see the contrast? They did too. Do you see what's happening here? Can you see how it's game on? See, at this point, Jesus could just kind of go with the flow, couldn't he? He could, uh, you know, back it down a notch or two, but he doesn't. In fact, he's turning the knob to 11. Spinal tap reference, anybody, anyone, anyone? It's so this whole thing is escalating. So the picture of an idyllic week that we call Holy Week, it, it's not like we just, it's not like we fantasize about it. In fact, I changed, my title says Holy, scratched out, Hectic Week. That doesn't even capture it, but they're both H's. It's, it's a dangerous week. And there's so much that's unsettling. And like things are just looming. Which brings you to episode 10. And this is where we're going to, we're not going to go as quickly through this. But I wanted you to get the picture. This is the last episode of the season. And the next season is about when Jesus, Judas betrays Jesus. And he's um, tried and executed and resurrected. And that's later this week in our Good Friday service and our Easter service, our early morning Easter service. And you may be familiar with this kind of final speech in, um, in this season, but at least parts of it, because they kind of fall in the category of end times. You guys have heard that. Anyone heard that phrase, end times? Raise your hand. Show me you're still with me. Okay. But you probably haven't heard it in this context. And the context, as we say constantly here, is super important. Because in episode 10, what Jesus is doing, he's predicting the destruction of the temple and of the city of Jerusalem. And it starts with uh, the disciples having a conversation with Jesus. They must be in proximity to the temple, and they're remarking on um, just how magnificent a building it is. It's a remarkable structure. And at that time, in the first century, the temple is one of the great wonders of the world in that, in that region of the world. And in the first century, at this time, it's under a major renovation, which goes decades long, by the way. But even in the middle of the renovation of the temple, it's especially beautiful. It's all decorated for Passover. So think, think mission in and mission in at Christmas. See the difference? How many have been to the mission in at Christmas? Okay, so I got a lot of people that are going to relate to what I'm going to be saying here. When they, when, they talk, when they remark about how beautiful the temple is, Jesus says, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another, and every one of them will be thrown down. Talk about a buzzkill here. Like, this is a shocking statement. 
So imagine you're at the Mission Inn at Christmas with your friends, and uh, yeah, man, it's so beautiful, but your, your friend happens to be like the leading seismologist in the world, and you're saying, isn't it beautiful? And then he says, yeah, but it won't be here for long. This whole thing's going to collapse. Uh, what do you say then? Say, well, when? How? Do we need to leave the building right now? Only give this the full weight that it has on Jesus's disciples as they heard this, because this isn't just the mission into them. It's not just a historic landmark. This is a building where God dwells in their mind. It contains the holy of holies. It's the center of religious and social life for them. It's associated with all their key principal religious figures like David and Solomon and the prophets. And it's a place where it's a landmark where every devout Jew, regardless of where they are in the world, they turn toward it multiple times in the day to pray. And they're all, at some time, as they, they're here for Passover, they're, they're going to go to this temple. So that temple um, and Jerusalem had grand days in the past uh, before they were taken over, before the Jewish people were taken over by Babylon. And when that happened, Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. So when Jesus says this, they're connecting that to this part of their history when that happened. And the way they're interpreting it is, you know, there's hard times coming. That's an understatement, but that's what they're thinking. And in order for this temple to be destroyed like that, it's obvious that the whole city will have to be destroyed. And it's their holy city. It's almost equal to the temple that is in it. And it's kind of, in their mind, it's the Babylon takeover all over again. That's all what's running through their minds. And so in that moment, the disciples have a couple of questions, which would be our questions as well if we were standing there. They're obvious questions. When is this going to happen? Is there a date? Is it on the calendar? Can you tell us about it? And what are going to be the signs leading up to that happening? Are there early warnings that we could look for so that we could be prepared. And Jesus answers both questions in this speech. Verse 32, he says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So he tells them the when. It's going to be within this generation, which a generation is 40 years at this time. It's not an exact date, but it's a, it's a span of time. Did it happen? Yes. The Romans laid siege to Jerusalem 37 years later. And the city and the temple were brought to rubble. For four years prior to that, kind of um, Judaistic uh, zealots, like these Jewish rebels, they had taken over and they were a constant thorn in the flesh to Rome. And Nero had had enough. And so they besieged the city. And so this, this great, just, to, just so you have an idea of how amazing this city was, here's, I'll put a picture up. These are stones that you can still go see um, of the wall. So you're talking about a massive, massive wall. So they didn't just like leave parts standing. They, they leveled it. And then secondly, what are the signs that this is close, 
Jesus said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. So basically, Jesus said there's going to be societal unrest. There are going to be natural disasters, and the world is going to be a very, very scary place for a while leading up to this event. But then from there, in his speech, he backs up in time. And there are even signs before these signs in verse 12. Before all this, before that happens, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. So when, when Jesus said that, like, it hasn't happened yet, but eventually, and we'll do this when we, we'll see this when we study Acts, the, the, the first century church, that's coming after Luke. We're going to do a family series, a short one, on marriage, bringing faith into your family, and um, raising children. And then we're going to go into um, Acts, because Luke is the author of both. But anyway, think about the, the stories that we know, many of us, of the Apostle Paul and the apostles being brought before magistrates and being tried and accused. Think about Nero's persecution of Christians around the year 64 and how he blames the fire in Rome on Christians. And during that time, Jewish zealots uh, proliferate, and it's hard for Rome. You know, when you have this guerrilla warfare going on, it's hard for, to distinguish between who are the people causing you problems and who are the people that are not and just there. Um, and so what happens? It's full-scale destruction. It's complete and utter persecution of people. So it's just a really terrible time coming to be in the city. Whether you're Jewish, whether you're Christian, or you just happen to live in Jerusalem, everybody gets caught up in events like this. And when, so when, when something reaches that level, the, the violence becomes indiscriminate. In verse 26, Jesus says, people will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming in the world, what is coming on the world. And so he says, if possible, you should run away. In verse 21, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out, and those in the country not enter the city. And it's going to be especially terrible for the vulnerable. Verse 23, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Who, who could be more vulnerable in um, a war that comes to your city. And I don't know about you, but like I wrote this message like two months ago. But today where we are, does it not bring up in your mind images of what's happening in Ukraine? And, you know, it isn't just a war between soldiers. When um, someone like Putin enters uh, a nation... Um, it's indiscriminate violence. And, you know, you've been watching the news. You've been seeing, like, there are war crimes happening. It's like, this is our modern day, and we have the Geneva Convention, we have NATO, we have, a, we have all this international pressure that kind of keeps some of it restrained, but terrible, terrible things are happening there. We're seeing it, right? We're seeing the images, and so disturbing, all the war crimes and everything. But then, it was far worse it ended up being far worse than they could even imagine when Jesus, Jesus was telling 
than this. Uh, the, you know, some people accuse the historian Josephus of kind of exaggerating things, but he says that a million Jews were killed and that nearly 100,000 were taken captive and children were boiled to death and eaten. It's all these horrific things. And to add insult to injury, it was especially divisive even among families. Verse 16, you will be betrayed this time. People fear for their lives. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. So it's an incredibly stressful time that Jesus is talking about. Now, we know from history that this actually happened. But how many of you have heard this teaching um, in a way that it isn't just interpreted that it was a historical event, it's, but more like it's a future thing that's going to happen? Yeah, me too. So as Jesus speaks of this destruction of Jerusalem, he is speaking, the reason why we, 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 we've been taught this different ways is he's speaking with the voice of a prophet. Now, what, what do I mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament, you have people like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. These are the prophets. And I tried to condense something um, like what it means to speak prophetically. I'm put up on the screen, and I'm just going to read it, okay? Um, in the Bible, a prophet could speak about something in the present that also revealed something about a future event. They could speak about something with a short-term fulfillment that also had a long-term fulfillment. And they could describe a single present event that also represented a separate future event. Or they could speak of short-term and long-term events separately in the same speech. And the events that they spoke of could span centuries. So in the Bible, um, there are sections that the speaker or the author is using prophetic language. And often we, we know what this is, just even if you're, we're not Bible scholars, I'm not a scholar, but it's phrases like the time will come or uh, talking, talk about coming in the clouds, that's, uh, you know, or the Son of Man will come in the clouds. That's, that's the prophet Daniel. And sometimes prophets will use hyperbole or poetry um, and symbolism to make a point that is, and in doing so, they're speaking prophetically. Like sometimes they say, well, this is the worst king ever, and this is the best king ever. So it's like they're using, you know, exaggerated language. Never in the history of time was a person like this or a person like that. So these are different ways in which the Bible speakers or authors are speaking prophetically. And here Jesus does, he speaks quoting Daniel, at least he mirrors the prophet Daniel, in verse 25, he says, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, on the earth. The nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Can you, does that feel prophetic to you? It feels like there's a thing and then there's something else. Uh, and he also sounds prophetic when he says this in verse 24, the times, when the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. So what is that? And then, uh, in verse 31, and even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Now, Jesus said that all these things would happen in the next 40 years. You guys still with me? Okay. He is. Wave at me. 
because I know I went, that was a deep dive for me. I've used up all my intelligence. So was that it? Was it just this thing in 67 AD? Or was he talking about events that were going to happen 2,000 years in the future, and in a bigger sense, not just in Jerusalem? Is Jesus talking about end times and his eventual return? Is the time of the Gentiles, this, this period in the first century, kind of the first hundred years, where the gospel starts to be preached to people that were not Jewish, as Paul and the other apostles went out and reached these Gentile communities and cities, is this, but is it also a time where like something will click in history? You see, Jesus is using prophetic language here. Jerusalem has become Babylon, but it also represents something that could happen in the world as a future event. And how we determine that is basically like our view or the people that we follow or the really smart people or the scholars, their view of Revelation 20, and 20 through 22. And it, it centers on this word millennial. Millennium. Um, millennial, not generation, but like a thousand-year period that Revelation 20 through 22 talks about. And so people... We, we kind of categorize ourselves theologically. You can be amillennial, which means that uh, there's no thousand-year reign in the Bible. That um, You can be post-millennial, which means that uh, the present church is living the kingdom period now and represents all of these millennial promises. Or you could be pre-millennial, uh, where Jesus' return through kind of a rapture event begins a thousand-year rule by Christians that includes a central role for um, Israel as well. So who's right? Well, that's easy. I don't know. I have, well, I, I think I know, but um, this is what people debate. Um, and we all, like, we all have, like, different responses to uh, what we see around us, and, and that gets connected to our view of end times teaching. So how many of you, like, be honest, this is like a confessional moment, okay, for all of us. How many of you are prophecy junkies? Just go ahead, raise your hand proudly. You're like, you're into it. Okay. Welcome. Welcome. So, uh, some of us read um, everything in, that happens in the world through that filter so that everything that happens has a meaning. This, this means that. And, oh, this is, this is what it was talking about. And, like, at the far end of the extreme, we're always trying to find the Antichrist uh, either through, it's either the Pope or vaccines. We don't know yet, but, like, we're just like it's everything. It's like that's part of, like, we're just always thinking that way. By the way, has everyone, anyone ever been right about this? Okay. So how many of you, like, like you constantly watch the news? Raise your hand. Let's, let's be honest. Come on now. Um, you don't have to say what channel you have on, but how many of you, like, be honest, you, you have the news on almost all day? Come on. All right. 
How many of you don't? How many of you say, like, man, I just leave the news off? Okay. How many of you are constantly following what's happening on social media and Twitter and you're watching YouTube videos constantly just to see what's going on out there? Come on, be honest. And Okay. Thank you for being honest. How many of you say, I avoid all of that stuff? How many of you are like, man, I'm not raising my hand anymore. <laughs> this is getting to be like a charismatic service here. So what do we really, really know, people? Here's what we really, really know. We know he's coming back for us, or we will ultimately go to him. And in the meantime, what are we, no matter where we come from, whether it's like everything means something or it doesn't mean anything, what are we, what are we to focus on? Because I, I hope that somehow I've done a good job of stitching this all together of what's happening in Jesus' life and in the people that he's talking to that opposition is intensifying, that it's really scary, and he's talking about really scary things because he's warning them of a very existential threat. This is a real threat that is also a prophetic warning. So this is, this is there's been a lot happening, but all of this happens in a week in Jesus' life, what I just shared with you. But how many of you feel like we're living in kind of a week like that? That something's coming. That the world is closing in. That it feels kind of like doomsday-ish. And your minds are occupied with all the fears and concerns so that everything you see and hear makes you anxious. You can't sleep. You can't let it go. You're on like this hair trigger where um, it seems like it's, it's time to fight right now or it's time to run away, and you don't know which it is, and it makes you react and push back on everything that's happening and wondering if anything is true. Or some of us are just trying to shut it all out. It's just too overwhelming and ignore it. You just want to close your eyes and plug your ears. But either way, you feel like we're living in some way, like on the cusp of these prophetic things that Jesus has said. What do we do? Well, Jesus told them what to do. And what, what I want to wrap up with is like how, what this means to us. And Jesus gave them two very clear directives that happened at the end of this week in the, in, the, in the context of this speech. And it's super simple, and it's really brief, and I think it can really affect us today. So what did Jesus say about living in end times? This is the first time you've, if you're even taking notes, you even have to write anything down. Hasn't it been enjoyable to just sit back? Number one, Jesus says, don't be misled. Don't be misled. Verse 8, he says, watch out that you are not deceived. Now, why would he say that? 
Why would that be the thing? Do you know when we're most vulnerable to deception? When we're afraid or when we're angry? See, if we're afraid, someone will come along and tell us that they have the answers to our fears. And if we're, if we're misled, we will accept all kinds of things, unacceptable things, because we think that they will stop the fear from happening. And this is what cults play on and authoritarians wonder like how people get sucked up into like that. It's like because there's a fear and this, this group says, I, we have the answers to your fear. And on the other, the other hand, what makes us really vulnerable to, to being misled or deception is when we're angry. Are you thinking clearly when you're angry? Think about the last time you really, really were mad. Were you rational? Cindy, don't say anything about me. <laughs> See, fear and anger make us vulnerable to deception. Here's how it works. You're afraid of something? You don't need to be because I'm here. And I have the answers. I'll protect you. So send me a donation. Vote for me. Watch my show. Uh, you know, subscribe to my newsletter. You know, maybe you're not even, a, you know, aware of all the things you need to be afraid of. That's even better because I can tell you daily the things you should be afraid of. And then I will have all the answers. The other way it works is if you're angry. You're angry? Yeah, I'm angry too. Let's be angry together at them. You know who they are. It's those people that are trying to do that thing to me or to us. And if you vote for me, I'll take care of you. If you watch my show or read my social media, we can be angry together and say all the things that we want to say about them. And if you're not angry, what's wrong with you? You have so much to be angry about. Let me remind you of all the things that should be upsetting you right now. And all of this, listen to me, church, all of this is um, making a lot of money for people, and it is dividing the church. So Christian, what is the answer to being misled? Jesus said, for many will come in my name claiming I am he, the time is near, do not follow them. So let's just stipulate there's a lot to be angry about today, and there's a lot to be afraid of. There was then, right? True threat. And yet, Jesus says, don't be misled. Follow me. Know me. Mirror my responses. If you can't see it in me, it's the wrong response. So do what I do. That's Jesus. Follow him. The second piece of advice Jesus has for us in end times is to not be overwhelmed. Don't be overwhelmed. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. Verse 34, be careful. 
or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. What is that about? Well, even then, in the first century, if people were stressed out and feeling overwhelmed by everything that was happening in their world, it was very easy to to go and try to medicate yourself out of it, to to engage in what end up being self-destructive behaviors, to just let go of all that I know to be true and follow my worst instincts, to stress eat, to overdrink, to, to be addicted, or to just feed our fears and our outrage. And all these things give us a false sense of control over what's happening. They actually give us less, but it feels like we have more control. And um, instead of sinking into despair, Jesus says, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. You see, when we're afraid or angry or even apathetic, um, it's, e- it's easy for us to get tempted to just get off track, to, to give up. But instead, Jesus says, go back to God. Then you'll be able to stand firm and hold your head up. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I want you to see how this section the speech that Jesus gives, like he gets done with it. And then after giving this advice about don't be misled, don't be overwhelmed, look at, look at what he goes back to doing. What is his example in verse 37? Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple after he said all this. And each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called Mount of Olives. So what is Jesus doing in the midst of all this crazy, intense, dangerous, doom, attacks coming, he is doing exactly what God told him to do, exactly what the Father had asked him to do. So what does it look like for us today to be a faithful follower of Christ in the midst of the crazy? It's to not be deceived and to not be overwhelmed, and to stay on mission. To stay on mission, living out the image of God in the world, in the midst of all the crazy in the darkness, to shine the light, and to stay focused on Him, trusting in Him. And you know, for all of us that are experiencing this in different ways, um, whether we're tr- whether it's like fully engaged in it and it's like it's sucking us in or we're just trying to bury our heads in the sand, um, this week is going to give us an opportunity to, to, to switch um, and to change some of our habits, to change from being fearful and overwhelmed or apathetic, but to focus our thoughts on Jesus. And so I want this week to be the different week for many of us. And uh, Jed's going to tell us a little bit about our Holy Week contemplation, right? What do you think?
How many of you say, like, I could, like, look, I, like, I have strong opinions about things, but, like, I could use a refocus. Anybody? Okay, me too. Jed. Thanks, Britt. You know, I was really excited several weeks ago when Britt and I were talking about this Palm Sunday and in talking about the end times, we would make certain to emphasize that Jesus in Luke 21, verse 32 says, truly, I tell you that none in this generation will pass until all things have been accomplished. And just the way that that could center us knowing that without knowing entirely what is happening in the future, the confidence in Christ and who he is gives us a sense of stability even now, today, all these years later. And so we're excited to invite you into our holy week. We remember the wildness of a holy God who we've heard all our lives can't be in the presence of sin and yet paradoxically and surprising comes to be among us to sacrifice for us. And so what a wild thing the good news of Jesus Christ is. And on Palm Sunday, generally at this time, it's all celebratory and we sing and we praise, but we know that by the end of the week, many in those crowds who would scream out, Hosanna, save us, deliver us, are actually crying out for his crucifixion. And so we figured that as we begin this Holy Week, we would take a moment in contemplation to reflect on some of that tension. And so if you would join me in standing right now, we have a very simple scripture that we're going to put up on the screen that does speak to what Britt just concluded with, of attempting not to be misled and yet staying focused and being on mission. And if you would join me in a very simple posture, if you would just take your palms and place them up. And like Jesus does, we're going to take a small moment in prayer to ask that God would focus us on who he is, regardless of the noise outside not just as individuals, but as this church family. And so with your palms face and with the scripture on the screen, would we together pray these words to Jesus, our King? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And that's the beginning of our Palm Sunday week together. Throughout the remainder of this week, we have activities and experiences that are available to us as individuals and as a community. You can go to sunridgechurch.org, just scroll down, and you will see the Holy Week page there. And we invite you to take part however you would like to recenter and refocus and remember that many Easter's can come and go, and yet we are going to be intentional together as a church family. So tomorrow night, if you'd like to join us at six, you can bring dinner to the courtyard and then we'll have some experience in our building to clean and purge and get ready for uh, the rest of this spring. There are other things in the middle of the week. On Friday, we have our Good Friday service at seven o'clock. And then of course, next Sunday, we are so, so thrilled that we're gonna be on that little hill welcome up the light of the world returning. And so we'll do that sunrise portion and then transition into this place together. Are you guys excited for this week? I sure am. I sure am.
Well, uh, let's continue in worship through song, reminding one another that our God is certainly good and great. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.